0: Hello, happy Wednesday and good morning. Cheers, Zara.
1: Good morning. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. How's it going?
0: Good. How are you doing on this fine, muggy, hot, sticky, drippy, nasty Wednesday?
1: It's actually pretty nice out here. Is it? <laughs> oh,
0: you suck. It sucks here in Wisconsin. I'm like, I was melting when I came down here to get dressed, and then I'm, you know, wearing the the coat and everything, and I'm like, I'm actually okay right now, but this because I was vacuuming right before I vacuumed oh, and then no. showered right before the show. So, you know, like how you like work out or you vacuum or you do something and then you clean up afterwards cause you're nasty, but like you still sweat yep. after the shower. Oh my God. So I felt like I was melting. I'm like, oh my God, please stop. <laughs>
2: Make but, it go away. Yeah,
0: exactly. Make it go away. <laughs> so, uh, what the heck are we talking about this morning?
1: Ah, uh, we are talking about passion.
2: Aha. Right now it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, Wait a I think it's,
1: it's a really interesting topic. It's funny to me because um, I've been kind of in the last couple of well, I would say last year or so. I've just really realized that like I never really like truly was passionate about photography when I first got into it. Okay, like it was just a way to pay bills and. I think it's interesting because I think that we assume passion has to be there for us to be successful or for us to be able to, you know, do something we love. But I think in all reality, like we can just create our own passion Mm -hmm. if we want to. And if we don't want to, we don't have to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I agree. And what's so frustrating is there's tons and tons of pithy and and um almost off the cuff advice about like following your passion and your dreams will just come true and and you know if you follow your passion the money will come and all of that sort of stuff and it's just not that simple right and 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 it's a disservice to people to pretend that it is right absolutely (laughs) yeah Drew Drew says, I think Mike Rowe has said it really well and said, don't follow your passion, but rather follow your skills. Oh, that's, that's lit. That's
1: a really good, yeah, that's a really good, uh, good point. Yeah. you can, you can grow to be passionate, I think, about anything. Mm -hmm. And when you enjoy it, like you don't necessarily have to enjoy something for it to make you money but like once you make money and once it's like actually fitting into your life and once it's like making your life easier it's really easy to grow into into that
0: right right
1: Uh, whereas i think right now it's it's another one of those where i hear oh you gotta hustle or oh you have to you know be busy all the time it's this like glorified thing that's going around social media yeah and I think the funny part, and this is where it made me laugh, uh, Nicole and I were talking about it last night. Um, cause she asked, you know, what topic we were going to cover today. And, uh, it made me laugh cause I was like, well, I moved to Tucson and I had shut down my studio here had moved out there. And, um, I was bored out of my mind. So I started going to the gym again. I got into bodybuilding. Um, and then I started seeing all these people making money with personal training. And I was like, oh, I think I can get certified. That's easy. So I did. And then like, I started a personal training business and it was fun for maybe like three and a half weeks until I realized that I was a glorified therapist that wasn't getting paid enough <laughs> and like people just keep, kept giving me excuses.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I said, screw it. But like, if you looked at my social media from that time or like even like in person, I was like, oh, I love what I'm doing. Like, it's so much fun and this and that. But in reality, like I hated it, mm-hmm. like even though I was making pretty decent money with it, I was just like, eh, this, like this sucks.
0: Right. You yeah. know?
1: And so following that, like mentality, like we see people online making money in some way and we think it's cool
0: mm-hmm.
2: and so
1: that we get into it and we claim that it's our passion but in reality it's not. So I Mm -hmm. think that it's it's an interesting topic.
0: Yeah, it's like I had a a similar, a a pretty similar experience with my actual business as well because when I got into photography, uh, as soon as I, which many people do, right? Like many of us do this, we get into photography, we learn a little bit, not even a lot, like enough to be able to maybe, you know, catch some shallow up the field or, or whatever.
2: Right. And we
0: take some good photos and all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, I could sell these photos, I could make some money, I'm gonna be a photographer, artist and you know, blah, 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 right? Yeah. And and then I like tried to do that and realized, um, oh wait, I forgot about the part that nobody cares about me or my photography at all. Which means that to sell your photography, you actually have to have some sort of a presence or audience or whatever, which is a totally different skill set and a totally different thing. And, and so then I was like, oh, well, you know, uh, I mean, I just sort of floundered around like somebody who knew nothing uh, <laughs> for a long time and then realized and did basically what Mike Rowe said, which is follow your skill set. I'm really good at teaching people stuff. Right. And I actually, uh, even though I dropped out, I went to college to be a teacher. I wanted to teach. Uh, I just realized I didn't want to teach in, like, you know, the, the, the academic sort of public school whatever system. And so eventually I realized I could put something that I love, photography, with something that I'm really good at, which is teaching, and combine those into the business that I have. Uh, so it's, it's recognizing what you're good at versus what you care about. And sometimes those two things are together and you can turn it into a business or you can bring them together to turn it into a business. But sometimes what you're good at is the thing you use to make you money so that you can do what you care about.
1: Right. And I think that's a really good point because we, we think that if we're passionate about something, then it's all fun and games. As we go through, but in reality, like I always say, this about 10% of what I do for my business is actually something that I truly enjoy. Mm-hmm. The other 90% is crap that we have to put up with because we have a business and we have to run it in order to make money to pay our bills.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: And so, if you are passionate about something, but it's 10%, I mean, that's still good enough if it's making you happy and it's making you money and i think it goes without saying that there you are going to be frustrated you are going to have days where you hate it that doesn't mean like you're no longer passionate about it that just means that you're having a bad day
0: (laughs) right right exactly which we're all going to have like no matter how amazing the job or business is that you have there's going to be bad days like that's just part of that's just part of being a human being living the life that we live Yeah. All right. Harley has joined us as well as Tim. So hello to you guys as well. Thank you. And uh, Frank said he's in the same boat uh, here as a psychotherapist. He says, I enjoy counseling, but cannot make a living as of now. I identify skill sets I have and also do what I enjoy. Kind of like a middle ground. That's exactly it. So what are some of the misconceptions that we have around following our passion or what are some of the misconceptions that are pretty commonly put out there that we haven't already talked about? Cause there's a lot of them.
1: <laughs> there are a lot of them. And I think everyone admits it or it, everyone interprets it in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest ones is that passion has to lead to success. Like, just because you're passionate about something and you feel strongly about something doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to lead into this booming business or into a career it could be something that you just enjoy yeah and you can leave it at that it doesn't necessarily have to lead to success
0: and i think well, i think there's another sort of success itself is a, is a thing that we could probably spend a whole show talking about like right. actually defining success and taking away the sort of stigmas and and misconceptions and perceptions around success too because success is also what you make it so your passion can lead to success but that success could be that you know, you create an amazing painting, right? Or whatever the thing is that you're following, as a photographer, maybe you want to have a gallery showing in a local right. art gallery, right? Like, saw a lot of people would say, well, that's not success, you know, because it's not an amazing business or whatever, right? But if, you're, if your goal is to create a body of work so you can show it in a local art gallery, that's that's great, and that's an amazing right. success if you achieve that.
2: Right,
1: absolutely. I think that's something that we should really keep in mind. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, it, it's interesting to me how we have mis, misconstrued what success and passion and these, you know, buzzwords that we hear all the time are. Um, and that's why I was like, following your passion is bullshit. Like you don't <laughs> necessarily have to do that. Um, like another thing is, everyone thinks that you have to make money from it. You don't. Um, or that you can't have multiple passions. Um, or even you have to stick to it. I think that's the most interesting one out of all of them, is that we grow as human beings. Like as we age, as we have more life experiences, we grow. And so there are certain things that we might have been passionate about five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago that we have absolutely no interest in it anymore because our life has taken us in a different route and now we're interested in something else. And that's okay. Like, It's okay to now no longer be passionate about something you were passionate about. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I had an experience with my photography. I've talked about this a little bit before, but I think this this is really illustrative of that, that point itself, which is um, I had done that self-portrait project where I took a portrait of myself every single day for a full year, which was a brutal um, project in positive and negative ways. Um, and at the end of that year, I was like super burnt out on photography. So I basically didn't shoot or do any kind of photography for the whole year after that. And right. I, I almost legitimately quit photography and sold my stuff. I, I, I really considered it because I, that whole year, there was like this fa- these phases that I went through that helped me understand that point that you were just talking about. Because in the beginning... I felt guilty that I wasn't shooting because I right. had put this idea and this pressure upon myself that I needed to pursue this passion and that this was the thing I needed to use to achieve success. All of these things that we're exactly talking about right now. And then right. after feeling that guilt for however long, you know, months or whatever it was, I, I started to learn how to let that guilt go. And I got to a point where I, where I realized, like, I can give this up if I want. Like, I don't really feel like doing it. So I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not going to put any expectations on myself to do it or not do it. Like, it's just going to be what it is. And that was a really wonderful transitional point. And and it was after a few months of just sort of sitting with that, that I took another step back. And I I actually said, I think I might actually be done with this and considered selling my stuff. Uh, But then I I thought to myself, you know what, before I sell it, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, give it a go again, like pick up the camera and see how I feel. And I realized that I had just needed a break, not that I was ready to give it up, but that whole time that I was off, that really helped me understand that you can, like you can just walk away from something. Like there's nothing wrong with that.
1: I did the same thing when um, I moved to Tucson, You know, I shut down my business here. The year prior I had photographed 43 weddings Mm -hmm. and I was burnt out, I didn't realize I was burnt out, but when we moved out to Tucson, you know, I shut down the studio here, I was coming back for, like, the handful of weddings I still had for 2012, Um, but then I I literally, like, it hit me one day, I was like, how did I do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, back-to-back weddings, and I needed a break and so then when we were in Tucson because like I struggled to rebuild my business in Tucson and part of it was I didn't want to Mm
2: -hmm. like I
1: didn't want to go back to shooting 43 weddings a year because that was really painful Mm -hmm. and when you're in the moment I don't think you realize especially when like money's coming in and like everything just happening at such a fast pace but like when you do take that little bit of a break and you realize like part of me said "Mm, maybe I'm done. Mm um and so i actually went and worked for geico it lasted like i don't know i I think i was like a month two i was like okay never mind i, not want to work. <laughs> I, I ended up lasting there for about six months uh-huh. uh, and they were great like they were actually a yeah. really good employer like i made really good money for tucson down there but like i needed to come back and do photography and that's when like I started, you know, exploring more of the boudoir side of it and I started really concentrating on portraits and the education and things like that and that built me the business I have today where I have I do about 6 to 10 weddings a year. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy them now. Like I am back to enjoying weddings the way I used to enjoy them back in the day but I can tell you, 2012. I hated weddings.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never
1: wanted to shoot another wedding ever yeah. again in my
0: life. And, and and I have a similar experience to that, except um, as rather than being a ph- photographer, I was a wedding DJ for about like 12 years. Quite literally, from the time from the age of around 10 years old with my parents. Um, mm-hmm into my like early to mid-ish 20s. And and it was what you were just talking about, but but for almost, you know, for about a decade, right. uh, where Friday, Saturday, and often Sundays, I was at weddings or parties working. And uh, when I finally decided to quit, my wife and I had taken a chunk of that business. My parents got divorced, blah, blah, blah. We had our own sort of business that we had built off of the remains of that after my parents divorce and and we were running after it for a while ourselves and then we just kind of looked at ourselves uh you know we we one morning like it was just this sort of should we just quit this and immediately we were both like yeah yeah we're done
2: and yeah and
0: and that's okay yeah yeah it's it's fine it's just so fine to be done with the thing um Before we go on, should we ask everybody to to tell us like what their passion is?
1: Yeah. Okay. I would love to hear what Yeah. And I mean, it's okay if it's not photography. Like you can right. make a living with photography or whatever you're doing, like and if you're passionate about saving puppies in, <laughs> you know, the Middle East, That's cool. Like, I can that. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's amazing. So, yeah, you guys tell us what your passions are. And it doesn't have to be one. If you have several things, go ahead and and put that in the chat. And we should probably share ours too, right? Yeah. That
1: would probably be good.
0: (laughs) You want to go first? You want me to go first?
1: Uh, You go first. Think about it. Way
0: to put me on the spot. Uh, You love it when I put you on the spot, don't you? Uh...
2: I'm glaring at you. Can't
0: tell. Oh, I can see it.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so um, I'm passionate about. Um, I am passionate about photography. Like it's a thing that I tr- really, truly enjoy and have been passionate about. And and I mentioned that's why I set up my business the way that I did, so I could just shoot whatever I wanted to shoot. And and I also am genuinely passionate about like educating people because it's something that. Um, I get a lot of joy and fulfillment from when I see that something that I have made or instruction that I've given or or something that I've done has helped a person uh, advance themselves in that thing and seeing the joy and excitement that comes out of that advancement in them. So helping lift other people up in that way, like that makes me feel amazing. And so I'm passionate about that. I'm also passionate about uh, the trading card game, Magic the Gathering. Like I love the shit out of that game, and I wanna play it all of the time. Like I'm basically almost always thinking about Magic the Gathering and my decks and the cards and how much I love playing that game because it's just so fun.
1: I have boxes and boxes and (gasps) boxes of those cards sitting in my basement. Do you really? I seriously do. Oh my
0: god. Did you used to play?
1: um, I did for like a very half minute and then I stopped. my brother and Donald are like, or they were obsessed. They yeah.
2: Oh my so God. And
1: at one point, I, I mean, they spent so much money, uh-huh. so much money. So I have a hard time like throwing it away because like all I see is like dollar signs when I look right. at
0: the boxes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I love, 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 love that game. Uh, I'm also kind of passionate about wine. I like drinking wine because it tastes good and it's fun and and whatever. And I really love reading too. I'm passionate about that, and I don't do enough reading. So those those are my so those are some of mine. Nice.
2: Um,
1: I would say for me, definitely education, <laughs> um, education, and just helping others is my biggest thing. Like it just makes me happy to see other people succeed. Um, I've also found that building others up, uh, so helping people figure out like how to boost their confidence, how to get through their problems. It's probably like the psychologist in me still and that's probably why I decided to go into psychology um, that I really am interested in like the human psyche and how our brains work and why we do the things that we do. Um, I am definitely passionate about travel like i love traveling seeing new things eating food is another big thing i love cooking i love eating um, i love trying new things as long as it doesn't have celery in it we're good <laughs> um, i i am very passionate about the fact that i hate celery <laughs> very passionate about
0: that <laughs> um, wait 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 so like celery and peanut butter is just not a thing for you
2: Wow. Taste
1: anything, anything with celery. So wow. if it's like chopped up really finely and cooked, and I can't uh-huh. really taste it, like there's things that, because celery to me is a very like overpowering taste.
2: Interesting. And so
1: if like I can't taste it, I'll eat it. Okay. But if I can taste it, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> um, like celery is not allowed at my house. mm Hmm. Um, I have kicked my in-laws out because they brought celery into my house.
0: (laughs) Got it. Definitely passionate about not liking celery.
1: (laughs) uh Uh Um, But yeah, I would say just, you know, helping people grow education, food and travel
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and Dobermans. I Mm. love, I love dogs in general, but Dobermans are, they're a special breed. And if you've ever owned a Doberman, you know, they're a special breed.
0: <laughs> Probably in both good and bad ways, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right. So Drew says, uh, I'm passionate about making things, including photos. And he also says this, and this is so, so true. He says, it's also satisfying when you teach someone something and they do better than you. That is incredible. That's yes. an incredible feeling. Yeah, Frank called me a troll, (laughs) which I'm a little bit of a troll, maybe. (laughs) All right, so Christian Jones, what's that?
1: Occasionally.
0: Occasionally. (laughs) Christian Jones is is passionate about pictures of everything, which I I see that, and in Christian's work, and he's really good at it too, like. He's he's one of those types of photographers who really can jump into shooting almost any type of photography and just take really beautiful and amazing photos. Um, Frank's passionate about a lot of this, uh, a lot of things. So, uh, photography, tennis, theology, philosophy, and psychology are a few of them. Um, my wife is passionate about reading and writing reviews to try and help promote authors. She says, I'm also passionate about herbs. She's studying to become an herbalist and essential oils. She's a certified aromatherapist studying to become a clinical aromatherapist. Uh, My kitties and finding a good cheap wine and tea. Um, Frank's passionate about anime as well, very cool. Uh, Drew says, I have a passion for creating things out of wood from the design to the final product. Uh, The other passion is cycling to clear my head so I can keep creating things. Uh, And good craft drinks and food. And Nicole is passionate about travel. That's very cool. That's a really wonderful and well-rounded set of passions. I love that.
1: Tim commented on YouTube and he said, I don't feel like I'm passionate about anything. I enjoy several things, but I don't think I'm passionate about them. And that's like, it's really interesting because one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about is um, following your passion versus like cultivating your passion. Mm -hmm. And you can, like following implies that you have to discover this passion and it's already there and it has to match the job you're doing. Whereas cultivating, I think, is more building your passion around your job. So if you enjoy things, you can build a passion around them Mm -hmm. because I think passion is its almost like borderline obsession. So if you enjoy what you're doing and you can help turn it into something that brings you true joy – then you become almost obsessive about it in a good way, not in like the obsessive compulsive way. <laughs> and once like that, I think happens, that's where your passion is.
2: Mm-hmm. And, versus
1: and, the whole follow your passion.
0: Right, passion. right. <laughs> and not feeling passionate about anything is also like, um, not a thing that anybody should feel wrong or ashamed or right. or anything about, right? That just means that either you haven't found um, a thing that really ignites that, which is fine, or you may be the type of person that doesn't get like super ignited by a thing, which is also fine, right? Like you can enjoy things and you don't, like you don't have to be passionate about anything. Um, Tim says, Tim, I am a hundred percent on board with this. I suppose I'm passionate about hating insurance companies (laughs) and that's about it. (laughs) So we have passionate about hating celery and passionate about hating insurance companies.
1: (laughs) It it can go the other way. It can. It doesn't have to be something you love.
0: Right. And I mean, like genuinely that can be, um, it, it, like, this can can tip over into destructive behavior for people too, right? Like, if you've seen people who do, as you said, it's borderline obsessive. And if you see people who do fall into obsessive, um, destructive behaviors around a thing, that's not always a good thing. And so sometimes managing your passion is realizing that, you know, like me realizing I can't just fuck off everything and play Magic the Gathering, you know, every day <laughs> for hours and hours every, uh, a day. Well, uh, even as much as I might want to.
1: <laughs> aren't there people who are making money with it?
0: There are people that make money. Like, you can enter into the um, tournaments that they run on a yearly basis, and you, you can be a professional magic player and play competitively um, and rank and, and all of that stuff. Um, and, like, very, very briefly, once upon a time, I thought about that, but um, I don't play it. To, for the uh, I am competitive when I play because it's fun to play to win games right but right I don't think that I would do well in a competitive environment because I think that would bring out the worst sort of behaviors and habits that I have um which uh tend towards anger and uh and and negative behaviors that I don't want to engage in
1: well Kim just put put an end to that
2: no professional magic. <laughs> I don't the think I could be a
0: professional MTT player, right? Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so I play casually for fun uh, because it is fun, and and that's that's what it boils right. down to for me.
1: And that's totally okay. Like you can yeah. be passionate about something that doesn't make you money. Like
0: yeah, it's just it's you know fine. yeah. And, and one other thing that I think I wanna um point out or mention is is, is you, you've you touched on this a couple times already but I wanted to highlight this a little bit further which is that um, it's also possible to because a lot of times we think about like following our passion as an escape from the grind of a job that we hate um, and and what I'm, what I'm about to say is not something that I suggest is going to uh, magically make a, a terrible job or a toxic workplace better because I recognize that it goes beyond um, just the attitude that we have as individuals, but uh, if you are working at a job that you don't really enjoy or that you hate or, or, or it just isn't the thing that that um, you're finding fulfillment in, it's it's entirely possible that you need to take a step back and sort of check your own attitude uh, about the job uh, because. It can it can be your own attitude and your own thought patterns and your own perception of the job that is making the job uh, miserable for you. And again, I'm I'm not absolving any like toxic environments or or anything else like that. But the, the the example that I have is the experience that I went through working for Quick Trip, which is which is a convenience store slash gas store chain in the Midwest here, uh, and. Uh, when I worked, when I got the job at Quick Trip, it was just like I just needed a job, and I ended up working there for about a decade. And for the for, for a good chunk of the time there, like I was just a cog, and you know, just did my job. I didn't care about advancing or anything else. Like it was just a job, and it was fine. It had its ups and downs or whatever. But then after a period of time, and having worked there for as long as I had, I had an opportunity to to move into the management track, and I thought, you know what? Like I was working at a good store with good people. I genuinely enjoyed the environment, and I and the company was genuinely a good company. So I thought I could do this, you know. Uh, and then I got on the management track, and uh, all of the toxic stuff in the company started showing itself, and uh, I pretty quickly realized that this is this is not going to be a thing for me. Uh, and when right. I came out of that, I had some really feel-bads about the company uh, and the experiences that I had. And and when I stepped out of the management track, I brought some of that with me, but I realized that that was ruining my own work experience. And I managed to find this headspace where I went in, and I did my job, and I did it as well as I could do it, but I also gave no fucks about anything and And right. it was great. It was great, because I could go here and I could do my job and I could make money that I needed to live my life. and and it and I basically had zero stress from it because I just didn't care. But not in the sense that I was there like, "Ah, oh, fuck this job, I'm not gonna do anything. Like I genuinely worked. I did my job. but I, I was able to find that headspace where I also had a hell of a fun time because I genuinely just didn't care about anything. Right. Uh, and, and it's a, it's a hard headspace to find, but it's something that I encourage all of you to explore when you think about your own jobs. Uh, and and again, I'm not absolving any kind of the toxicity or other factors that can genuinely make a workplace a horrible place to be, but, um, you, you, Your own attitudes and thoughts about the work that you do, whatever it is or wherever it is, will greatly shape your experience there. And that's the thing I think we, we sometimes forget because it's easy to push everything off onto the workplace as just a horrible job or a horrible place or right. something like that. And we're just going to take a quick ad break because this is a business after all. We'll be back
1: i think as humans we don't want to admit our own faults or our own shortcomings and therefore if we can find a scapegoat for something we will continue to blame someone else right versus looking inside and going okay what are the things i can change and if there is something that i can change then potentially that can make my situation better Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's really hard like i it's been taking me years and even to this day we were talking about it last night That like it is really hard to admit our own faults oh my
0: god right yeah super hard
1: (laughs) but once you admit it it's like any 12-step program right once you admit the problem (laughs) you can then move to correct it and fix it and get yourself in a better place
0: yeah yeah frank had a comment said i think a better way of looking at work would be fulfillment instead of passion and he's wondering what we think about that
1: yeah i i think that is a really good point like if you are fulfilled and that i think comes in with the that level of satisfaction and like okay doing this job like is it doing the things i want to do in life so by having let's say a nine to five job, am I able to pay my mortgage? Am I able to um, travel? Am I able to do the things I want to do? And if it does that then and you're happy, you know, it's not an abusive situation. You're not working twenty hours a day. You're not, you know, it's it's a good situation, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with not being like over the top passionate about your job, like if it is fulfilling you.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nicole I was gonna... said she
1: doesn't have faults. <laughs> of course she doesn't.
0: Of course she doesn't. She's perfect.
1: In every way.
0: In every way, I had something that I wanted to say. I totally forgot what it was. Oh, I know. I was gonna. I was actually um, that 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 checking yourself and that attitude is is a, a, another place that I found myself in recently because. Um, Right now, and, and I want to preface this by saying, like, I'm not trying to garner sympathy or, or, or anything like that. But, um, like, I'm, I'm in kind of a tipping point with my business and with everything where it is, where it's either going to work and take off the way I need it to take off to provide the income um, for the life that my wife and I want, or it's not, and I'm going to have to get a job. Really? Uh, my wife recently left her job, which is a thing that we've wanted her to be able to do for a very long time. And'm uh, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, now the income is principally on me. She's helping me here, but it's principally on me and the things that I do. Uh, and we've had this conversation a number of times already. and one of the things that I've said, and I mean this like in all, you know, fully and genuinely, like if this doesn't end up working out, I'm just gonna get a job, and I'm fine with that. Like, I'll probably go to Quick Trip as a place to start because I'm almost positive I could I could get a job there, you know, in a hot minute, Um, and and just start working again if I have to because if that's what I got to do, like that's what I'll do, and um, and I'm fine with it because I I think I'm in a place and a headspace where I can I can check my own attitudes and have the right kind of attitude no matter what I'm doing. Um, I'll still have ups and downs, but you know it—it'll just right. be what it has to be, and and that's a thing that's okay too. Like you said earlier, you can abandon if a thing isn't working. Um, that that sunk cost fallacy is part of this problem too, right? Because we think, oh, you know, this is my passion; I need to make it work. And then you think, right. oh, th- I've put so much time and effort and/or money into this business. Um, if I give it up now, uh, you know, that's all wasted, and that's that's the wrong way to look at it.
1: Or the whole, like, I'm going to be seen as a failure if I don't follow through with this. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think it's really interesting because, like, like, my example is I started out in photography as just a way to make money until I got my degree so that I could Mm -hmm. go get a real job that I thought I was going to be so passionate about and realized that I want to have nothing to do with working with children in psychology. <laughs> in fact, I don't want to work with anyone in psychology. Like, that's not something. But in the beginning, you know, when I started going to school, I thought that I was going to be really passionate about it. and going from that to you know solidifying that yes I'm going to run my own business and yes I'm going to be a photographer was really hard because my parents like my mom to almost like last year she was telling me she was asking me when I was going to get a real adult job and the funny thing is, is she does my books. She does my, <laughs> my books. She knows how much I make. And so for her to look at my numbers and still turn around and tell me that I needed to get an adult job was kind of actually entertaining. But I thought that I was failing my parents and failing like this expectation that was set up for me because I was supposed to you know, graduate college with good grades and then get my master's and get a job and work my nine to five and be a real adult. And here I am, like somehow, you know, finding joy in what I do now and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that struggle of like, I mean, I looked for work like even two, three years ago when I finally finished my master's degree, like I actually started looking for jobs in like HR and Big, you know, Fortune five hundred companies like looking to see like where I could use my degree and get a job, and then realize that one, I'd have to work for someone else; two, I would be taking a huge pay cut; (laughs) three, like someone would be telling me what to do. I am not okay with that. (laughs) And so that was kind of the end of that. Where I said, "Screw this! I'm gonna do what I'm doing now and make it work." for me mm-hmm. versus going somewhere else. But if I had to, like if I tomorrow wake up and I'm like, I hate this. I never want to, you know, pick up that camera ever again. Just like you, I I'll go find something else and mm-hmm. enjoy it.
0: Yeah. And make it work one no way or no the other. Yeah. Right.
1: There's, there's absolutely no shame in it.
0: Right. So Should we break this down into sort of like a point by point kind of, um, overview on what we believe is, um, the, the sort of, I always hesitate to say the right way to do a thing, but how we feel about our, our, our perspective, our perspective on this. All right. right, I'll let you take the lead on this.
1: I'm going to go ahead and say uh, that like, at different stages, I think this is the key, at different stages in our lives, we are going to be passionate about different things based on who we are in that stage because we're not static. Um, And it's okay. It's okay to care about different things throughout our life and be passionate about those. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another one is that some passions just run their course. like. You might be super interested in wine for, you know, a decade. And you go to wine tastings and you make your own wine. And then maybe wine starts making you sick. And so you start being passionate about whiskey. Or you start being passionate about, you know, organic chickens. I don't know. Some, you know, And it's okay. Like, that passion can change and develop. And that's okay. I think the other one that is a big misconception that we haven't touched on yet is that you're never too young or too old to have a new passion like you can start i know some of the best photographers in our industry you know started super late in their careers like they retired from a nine to five job that they did for 30 35 years and then picked up a camera and now are some of the best photographers in the industry and i think that's okay too
0: Yeah, a a good deal of the people who watch my videos are exactly that. People who are are now retired from some sort of a job and Mm. can now pursue this thing that they've been interested in for sometimes a very long time and sometimes they gain that interest now that they have the free time to explore these ideas. Right,
1: yeah. And then um, one of the other things that I have on my notes is like sometimes you develop a passion or you discover it by doing something else. Like for me came as I was teaching at WPPI this year, like I was rewriting my program the night before, cause that's what I do. And I, part of it was talking about passion. Cause it's really been like on my mind and like on my heart lately. Um, and part of it was that I, boudoir photography is something I really enjoy, but it's not because of the images. Like anyone can take a picture of a pretty girl it's like, it's pretty easy to do. Mm -hmm. What's not easy to do is to build these women up because like being half naked or naked in front of almost a complete stranger is not exactly the easiest thing to do. And so how do you take someone who is incredibly uncomfortable? They already have insecurities and make them feel beautiful and confident and sexy and, like a complete badass and that is the one thing that i pride myself on that i'm really really good at it and everyone who walks into my studio no matter how confident they are walking in they walk out and you can see a difference in the way they walk out and i have yet to have one person tell me that that experience didn't like change their life towards the better that they saw themselves in a new light and that's what i'm passionate about mm-hmm but it took me over a decade of being a photographer and then another, you know eight years, well, seven years of doing pretty much boudoir to get to the point that I'm like, that's what I'm passionate about.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like
1: I enjoyed it before. It was right. fulfilling, but it it didn't like ignite this fire of this is why I'm doing it.
0: Right, right.
1: And so it's uh, doing the things you enjoy will get you to that point.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when, when you talk about that, that makes me think even deeper about why I love the work that I'm creating so much. And it's it's similar. Um, what I love about th- what, what I'm doing is uh, taking this idea that we have usually collaboratively between me and the model um, or the cosplayer, whoever it is I'm working with, And turning that into an image, turning that idea into something that is tangible, that we can see, you know, creating a character, creating a scene, creating a set, and telling that story uh, within the image is something that I just, I love. I love, love, love. I love the technicality of it. I love the creativity of it. I love how good it makes them feel about embodying this character that they're so passionate about uh, and making them feel like that that character gives, I think, a similar feeling that you give to your boudoir clients and building up their confidence and building them up as a person and making them feel amazing. Uh, right. And, and it's, a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience. All right, so where, where do people go wrong? Well, we've got a couple of other points here, actually. One of the things, and, and you mentioned this earlier, is that um, it is absolutely okay to be passionate about something that doesn't make you any money. Like Magic the Gathering isn't making me any money. <laughs> Some could argue that it's costing me money because we buy the cards, but.
1: <laughs> hey, speaking of money, Kim's reminding us that we should probably, you know.
0: Are we passionate? Our... Are we passionate about merch?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I am. Look at all the stuff I have. I
0: mean, check it out. You gotta, you gotta show off the merch. <laughs> So check it out. We got a merch store. And if you guys are passionate about what we're doing and you appreciate uh, the passion that we bring to what we're doing, uh, you could check out our merch store at shp.photo slash bizmerch, which my wife very kindly posted that link into the chat. And you could pick up something and show your passion for us. Uh, <laughs> There are some mugs and there are there, there are pillows, there's throw blankets. there's hoodies. My favorite my favorite's always the hoodie like I'm a hoodie guy. I'm not gonna wear a hoodie now because it's it's too friggin hot but right uh, the stuff is there. If you guys want to support us, that would be super duper amazing and we would be very very appreciative of that. If you can't do it with the dollars, but you still want to show your passion for supporting us, you can do that by inviting people to the Facebook group, which is the Business Windup Facebook group, telling them about the podcast, which they can find at shp.photo slash podcast, and inviting them to these live streams when they're happening, because all of that also is a tremendous help to us and we appreciate it very, very, very much.
1: We do. We really, really do. We're hoping to help you guys, you know, grow because that's, I think, both of us are super passionate about yeah. that like helping other people grow yeah um, absolutely And in order for us to do that we also need support because i can't go back to shooting 43 <laughs> weddings a year
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and i and i need to i need to tip this thing over the hill so it'll pick up its momentum and go where i need it to go
1: <laughs> right. All and right
2: that's i
1: think the i think it's interesting because i listen to a lot of podcasts and i follow a lot of people and all that and I think what's different and what I appreciate about us is that, like, we are being very open and real about what this is. like. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to me because I was looking at the ClickCon classes and, like, two of my classes sold out, like, literally that morning. (laughs) And I was like, do these people not see that, like... I'm just winging it. (laughs) (laughs) And I know I have stuff to teach and I've I've been successful. And so it's not that like, I'm not aware, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: sometimes like I, you know, we still, I think both of us and I think everyone, anyone, it doesn't matter how successful you are or how successful you seem to be. um, You have those days where you're like,
0: are, what am I doing? Are people really
1: looking up at me because I have no idea what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. running around like a chicken without a
2: head.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Frank says we are definitely helping him understand and grow his business, uh, and he says thank you and and thank you, Frank. We appreciate we appreciate you being here, and and we're glad that we're able to help.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We really, really are. So. Yeah.
0: All right, so we've got a couple of questions that we wanted to take, but we also have a a last uh, few points that we wanted to hit here, which is um, where do people go wrong when they're following their passions? Just so we can give you kind of like uh, some key takeaway points here.
1: Um, I think this goes back to like one of the first things I mentioned, that like we see someone doing something and being really successful at it, and we just want to do that because it looks easy yeah and we forget that like there's no such thing as like an overnight success yeah you don't see the decade plus of work we've put into this and you don't see our bad days you guys are just seeing like you're not seeing the bloopers you're seeing the highlights
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and we forget that like we can't compare our bloopers to people's highlights i know like that is one of the things that is like so redundantly said but it's so true like we just cannot compare our shitty days to someone's best day
0: yep yep the comparison game is super dangerous Mm
1: -hmm. and also like trying to be passionate about something because it's easy so like going back to my like being a personal trainer like yeah it was easy because like it was something i enjoyed doing it was easy for me to get certified but I hated doing it.
2: Mm-hmm. But I looked
1: at all these other people like on Instagram and on Facebook and you know, all the other social media and they're like making a ton of money and they look so happy and healthy and their clients are all glowing. And I was like, well, I wanna do that. That seems fun. It can be applied to photography too. We have so many people who just pick up a camera purely because they're like, oh, well, that seems easy. I can click a button and make money. Mm -hmm. And some of them end up like realizing they can build a business and they do build a business. And some of them within like a year or two are doing like their next passion. Yep. And so it's really finding something that you enjoy that brings you joy versus it brings other people joy or it looks good on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, A great example, like I was reading an article and um, someone said like, do a Steve Jobs did not as he said, because <laughs> like Steve Jobs is all about, oh, follow your creativity, follow your passion, blah, blah, blah. That's not how Apple was built. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: Apple was like an oops that he ended up seeing the potential in and turning into this huge company, but it wasn't necessarily his passion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think it's really important to remember that.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very, very important. Your passion, I think the last thing that I would say is just reiterating the point that you've made um, a couple of times, but I think I want to drive home the most, which is um, cutting through the noise of your passion needs to be your business and you have to make money off of it. You don't have to monetize your passion. You can just enjoy it because it need it should be enjoyable. It's it, We're on this earth to live lives that we hopefully find fulfilling and enjoying and enriching to ourselves and to all of the people that we interact with in the world. And turning your thing into a business um, can spiral into bad things in in many different ways. And I'm not saying that it doesn't mean you shouldn't turn your passion into a business, but that you should really think about it and understand the implications of it before you do. That's that's, that's, That's my probably key takeaway in the whole thing.
1: Yeah. And I think just being open to opportunities too. Because you never know what opportunities will take you. Yeah. Like don't don't close down to things simply because oh well this this doesn't align with my passion. Now if it doesn't align with like your morals or like it's really something you don't believe in, absolutely don't do it.
0: Right, right
1: but also be open to those opportunities that come your way because you never know where something will lead
2: you.
0: Yeah. And, and another quick example on that point, like I have a part-time job, which I've been very open about before, um, working at a museum and that was a total accident opportunity. I had quit working at Quick Trip at the convenience store and was going to give this thing that, that I'm doing, uh, a full go. And, the folks that run this museum quite literally came to me sought me out and asked if I would be interested in working part-time there and basically said almost quite said you know we'll do whatever we want whatever you want us to do to make this work it wasn't quite that but they, they really wanted me to work for them and they were basically giving me and still give me all of the flexibility that I need um, in the job so not only do I have a, a part-time job that was a total accident um, that helps supplement my income. But I actually really love it. Like, I get to do tons of historical research, which is actually super fun. and mm-hmm. And then I get to make exhibits, which is a super creative process. And then I get to tell stories when I give people tours in the exhibits, which is super fun, because who doesn't like telling fun, interesting, crazy stories, right? This is a thing I would have never in a million years thought about doing, but that opportunity literally landed in my lap and i and i seized upon it and it turned into something amazing
1: um nicole said i think that the problem that a lot of people run into is that people think that they're passionate about something they shouldn't feel like work yeah and that absolutely like it it is work
2: yeah it's a shit <laughs> ton like of work think
1: of, think of a relationship whether it's like a friendship romantic whatever or with your child right like you love that relationship, you want to cultivate it, but it's constant work. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with your passion. Like, just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean it's not going to drive you crazy. In fact, it's probably going to drive you crazy more
2: mm-hmm.
1: than something that you don't really care about because now it's affecting you because you do care about it. Yeah. Um, and it is, it's a lot of work. And so I still find it really funny when people like look at me and they're like, oh, well, you're doing what you love. Absolutely, About 10% of the time. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the thing. So many people just never even think about when they try to turn it to passion into a business. It's realizing that you're actually going to spend less time doing the thing that you're passionate about than if you just exactly. pursue it as a thing that you do for the fun of it, for the joy of it, and for the passion of it. Because right. if, you know, cause then you got to think about your business and and your business is 90% not doing that thing.
2: <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah, and it yeah. is, it's stupid. And it is what it is. And yeah. It's it's, it's kind how of stupid. It goes.
0: it's just that's the world we live in. All right. Should we wrap this up with a couple of questions, Zara? I think so. All right. So we have one from Cyberdoc, and Cyberdoc's wondering what we both think of Unsplash and its impact on the pro photography field.
1: I don't even think I've heard of it. What, okay. is,
0: what is this? So Unsplash is a stock photography website that offers um, free, high resolution, really high quality stock photos. And okay. any any photographer can upload stuff to the website. Uh, and a lot of photographers hate it because they feel like it is devaluing their work and it's devaluing photography in general by offering um really high quality stuff for free so that that's that's the basic question and and that's what it is
2: um off
1: the top of my head i don't feel like i would hate it because here is here's the thing stock photos you can use them they're great but they're not gonna be personal And if they're not personal, they're not going to pull in your clients. They're not going to connect you to your clients. And so if there's five photographers who are using the same stock photos or five businesses who are using the same photos, there's no originality and it's going to create a mistrust between the client and the business. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, the lady who does my copywriting for me, um, for my ads and things, she just posted a thing I saw yesterday or the day before, and she's like, I just saw four photographers using the same exact stock photo and the same exact verbiage um, for an ad. And it's like, you know, there's a fifth photographer who's putting out this content and allowing other photographers to purchase it from them and use it. She encourages them to obviously change the verbiage and make it more personal. But like you wouldn't be buying it if you could make it more personal, right? So Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) long
1: story short, they're all posting the same exact thing. And people aren't going to trust you. And in an era where like social media and being personable and putting your personality out there is key. Like, yeah, you can make something look pretty and stock photos are great for like if you're writing an article and you just need something that's going to convey that message but i don't think it's really doing anything bad because like you're not going to build your business with those stock photos
2: mm-hmm.
1: as yep. a photographer
0: right right yeah and so, i i'm i'm on board with you as well i think it's fine i have i have zero problem with it but i'm also a person who has never had a problem with the idea of free or even you know the lower end of the market versus the higher end of the market because right um you know i while I deliberately chose to not play in the in the mar- in that particular market, I understand, and I'm actually approaching that with my cosplay photography uh, and and building that up as a studio, I understand that uh, free and high price and high value can exist at the same time, even if the free stuff is of high value. Because yep. what you provide at your end of the value is going to be way different and, and, like you said, Zara, way more personal and and way better in different ways than the free thing. And generally speaking, the people who are going after the free thing probably aren't your clients anyway. So it doesn't make any difference if they're right. getting it free or not.
1: Right. So like when I think of stock photos, I think of my personal branding clients and almost all of them could go to a stock website and purchase images, but none of them are going to have them in it. And Mm -hmm. the whole point of having a personal brand is to have you in it Mm -hmm. and you can post all the pretty photos you want, but if they're, if you aren't involved, then there's no connection and therefore you're not going to sell your product. And that's why I still get hired. Even though there's a million stock, even if they're not free, there are different stock photo agencies that my clients could buy images from. Even So like for one, one of my clients is a skincare studio and they can get the images of their products from the product vendor, but they prefer me to photograph them so that they are customized to them. Like we do the sets so that the colors match their brand, that it's sitting in their studio versus it just being a product on a white background. Um and they're still willing to pay. Like even though they can get those images for free mm-hmm. from somewhere else.
2: Yep.
0: Yep.
1: So I don't I don't see a problem with that.
0: Yeah. And and uh I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone um out there who doesn't agree with us on Unsplash, but I generally find that the people who are most vocal and most uh, vehemently, vehemently, I don't know, most ardently <laughs> against I, things like Unsplash or other photographers giving those their work away for free, are are the type of people who are, feel threatened uh, by those things and. And either don't know how to or are or are unwilling to adapt to the changes in in the market in order to keep and maintain their businesses where they are they would rather crush that opposition and make it go away than adapt as a business and improve that business and continue to serve their customers in a way that will maintain their business where they want it so Uh, you know, that's in in my opinion, that's their loss. And if, and if a person can't or is unwilling to adapt, you know, it's like, it's like Kodak, right? Kodak is a perfect example of this. Um, you know, and they weren't
1: willing to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Where are they now? (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. They're a brand owned by some third-party company churning out mostly crap products. Uh, Another example of this, uh, which is a super frustrating one, is the uh, American automotive industry. Because back in the 80s, there was all kinds of—I've just started learning about this, so I don't know a ton of detail. But the American automotive industry in the 80s started buying up all of the electric vehicle stuff that was starting to be innovated then and then buried it. Because they didn't want to deal with it as competition to their existing uh, product lines and markets. And now you have Tesla out there upsetting and you have these other brand new companies that are coming in. And then you have, you know, Ford and GM and and whatever, who are lagging behind all of them because they just, you know, they just decided to to be scared of the changes and and bury them. Um, Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's crap. Yeah, Kodak stunted to digital photography and the audio industry did the same, uh, CyberDoc says, and that's how monopolies are built. That's absolutely right. So yep. I'm totally fine with it. And last note on Unsplash, I actually use it as a resource when I'm compositing. So not only do I not have a problem with it existing, I actually take advantage of it um, right. because those are the kind of stock assets that I can use when I'm trying to create a scene or an idea um, and I'm right. doing composite work. And we're just going to take a quick ad break because this is a business after all, we'll be back. The other question we had Zara came from uh, Mandy Dudley in the group and she said, uh, and this is kind of really uh, uh, dovetails right off of the discussion we just had, which is how do you all deal with the dilemma of pricing low to get more clients or pricing for your worth? And and I think we we kind of already covered it, but if you wanna just elaborate on it a little bit more.
1: It's like the age old question, right, in business. How do you price yourself? And we have, we've talked about it in the past, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the very first thing that people need to decide is, do you want to do volume? Or do you want to do like luxury boutique? So if you want to do volume, you can do low cost, high volume, so more people in the studio, or you can do high cost, low number of people in the studio and provide them with a service and a better experience and all that. I've always say I don't sell photography. I sell emotions. I sell memories. I am selling you that confidence. Like people don't pay me thousands of dollars purely because they're going to get a pretty photo. They're paying me thousands of dollars because of the experience I provide. Um, And I think that it's a decision that you have to make. How much money do you want to make a year? So decide like, okay, I need to make fifty thousand dollars a year from photography. Okay. I can either do ten clients at ten grand a piece or I can do a thousand clients at fifty grand or fifty dollars a piece.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They're both gonna result in that same end number. You just have to decide how many people can you get in through your doors and how do you want to serve them. I have a really good friend who is a second third generation high volume photographer they do sports teams they do schools they do seniors i think they photograph like over 500 seniors a year something ridiculous like that they're in and out of their studio Mm
2: -hmm.
1: they make great money they love the way they do it they teach people like they set up their camera on a tripod with their settings click a button done Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it works for them Mm -hmm. That doesn't work for me. I tried to do like preschools for a while and it sucked. I hated it.
0: I did the same thing and I hated it too.
1: (laughs) You have to decide. It's such a personal, like your pricing is such a personal decision. The one piece of advice I can give you is once you set your pricing, stick to it. Don't, Don't budge from it. Stick to what your pricing is. I've had in the last month, I've had five or six clients now who have come out of state and have paid my full prices to photograph with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Out of state, like they're, I'm not even pulling from my own market anymore. They, None of them have complained about my pricing. None of them have said anything at all about, oh, this is too much. Every single one of them has thanked me, told me they love their images and that they will be back. The next time they're in town and they will send all of their friends so your pricing is very personal stick to it once you set it and that's it like
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's mm-hmm. that simple
0: <laughs> yeah it really yeah it really is and and that's again i i've for the most part until recently opted out of the market entirely but in entering the market i i immediately knew that i would wanted to be the use the same model that you're using which is uh low volume luxury pricing
1: right and and like it's not for everyone
0: yeah yeah and there's not you know and i think some people think that um they're mutually exclusive which you've already said that they're not um they both just require of understanding and this this goes back to topics we covered in previous shows so go to the podcast if you if you haven't caught up on all the shows um, and and listen through them and, and take notes because what it boils down to is once you pick your pricing model, whichever one you choose, then uh, you need to understand who your ideal client is and how to market to that client so that you can bring in the volume of clients that you're looking for, be it high or right. low, to achieve the numbers that you're also looking for. And and that's, that's all it is. And it's hard work no matter which end you take.
1: Right. It really is. And I think it's also good to remember that like, your your pricing is the value of what you're providing. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: some people aren't going to value it, and some people will. And the people who don't value it, it doesn't matter what you do, they're still going to complain. And the people who do value it, it doesn't matter what price it is, they will pay it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It's finding the people who will value it. And and it's mm-hmm. tough. And it's tough. But once you start finding right. them, then you're, then you're pretty much golden. Yeah. Passionate yep. people, CyberDoc says, passionate people are the best with sales. Our emotion is infectious and clients appreciate and value that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true.
1: Yeah. And when you are passionate about it, you're not actually selling them. You're providing them with a service. You're like truly wanting to help them. Mm-hmm. I never feel like I'm selling in my sales room ever. I It's a sales room. But... I never feel like I'm selling to my clients. I feel like I'm providing them with a service to get them the right products for their home, for their event, for whatever.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. John had a quick comment, said, Oscar Wilde once said, to increase the value of a painting, one must first increase its price. And he says, I think that has some relevance. And that is actually really true. Yeah. Yeah, the that...
1: value of anything is what are people willing to pay for it?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I always go back to like Louboutins, right? The red bottom shoes. They're actually super uncomfortable if you don't have super narrow feet. And yet I still pay thousands of dollars for them. Mm-hmm. And I give them to my friends because I realize they're uncomfortable and I don't want to wear them. Right, <laughs> but yeah. like, I, I am still willing to pay that price because I value them. It's stupid, but I do.
0: Yeah, and, and, and
1: people are going to be willing to pay your prices, even it, if you might not pay your prices. One of the things, sorry, I'm going to like go off on a tangent here before we wrap up. One of the things that I was told when I first started out and I was really struggling with pricing was that if you can afford yourself, you can't afford to live. I can't afford the prices that I charge. I can't. I am not going to be my ideal client, because I can't afford my prices. But if I charged what I could afford, I would not be able to live. So think of that. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. You
1: can afford yourself. You can't afford to live.
0: That's really interesting. I never really thought of that, but that's a really good point.
1: I I don't think I would be able to afford myself. I haven't been able to afford myself for probably eight years. Mm Those have been the most monetarily big years for me.
0: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. On that note, should we wrap this up?
1: I think so, because I'm all out.
0: All right. I'm on too. <laughs> Cheers.
1: Cheers, guys.
0: Thanks Thank for
2: hanging
0: out. Yep. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. As always. Again, we really, really appreciate. Uh, your time and hanging out with us. If you want to support the show, go to shp.photo slash bizmerch to pick up some merch or tell people about the Facebook group, tell people about the podcast, tell people the live streams. We appreciate everything that you guys do as well. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful week and we will see you next week.
2: See you guys.